loving and generous God you gave us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, an event that both blesses us and even sometimes baffles us. Help us today to find courage in the music we sing, in the word we share, that our lives may no longer be enshrouded in some sense of doubt and sadness, but our eyes may be opened and our joy restored by your comforting words. You don't need to be afraid because I am with you always. So may the risen Christ be here among us and greet us today as we worship you and may we marvel at your presence. Help us um, uh, through your grace today to believe in you and to uh, just celebrate in a very fresh and new way the hope of this day. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. The story, you know, of Jesus' resurrection is an old story, but our experience of God's presence is renewed each and every time we gather like this. And in spite of uh, all the stuff in our world, the pain, the suffering, the betrayals, the losses in our lives, Easter is about God lifting us from the tombs and creating new life in us and new possibilities for each of us. Uh, my prayer today is that you will experience a fresh sense of hope in your life uh, for having worshiped here. Uh, with Christians around the world today, we worship the God who is risen from the dead. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for uh, this day and for all those who have come to experience the message of Easter, a message of hope, a message of life, a message of change. So thank you for the transformation of winter into spring, of death into life, of grief into joy. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you and to be in your presence and to sing and to pray. Bless our lives, for we offer them to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. On June 18th of 1815, the combined forces of Austria, Russia, Great Britain, and Prussia, under the leadership of the British general Arthur Wellesley, the first Duke of Wellington engaged the powerful army of the French Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte near a Belgian town named Waterloo. The destiny of all of Europe hung in the balance. By a prearranged agreement, the British Army at the end of the day was to signal back to the coast the result of the outcome of that battle through a code of smoke signals. The message would then be communicated across the English Channel and hand-delivered to the King of England. On the evening of June 18th, at the conclusion of that fierce battle in which more than 25,000 men lost their lives, the English communication experts on the coast awaited the smoke signal, declaring either the victory or the defeat of their army. And soon their waiting came to an end. Over the top of a distant hillside, they, they were able to make out the distinctive smoke signal message from Waterloo, and they began to translate it. The first word was unmistakably the code for Wellington. The second followed soon after it was the signal for the word defeated. And when those two words were received, a sudden shift occurred in the wind and the sky quickly uh, filled with dark low clouds. It would be impossible to receive any more smoke signals that evening. But it seemed that they had received all, the, all that they needed. Their message unmistakably read, Wellington defeated. And so with great sorrow, they turned and they communicated that fact across the English Channel, and the message was delivered to the king. 
That night, all of England was heartbroken to receive the news that their general, Arthur Wellesley, and his forces had been defeated by the French Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte, for it now seemed that if there, there was no way in which to stop the expansion of Napoleon's power. The next morning, again, the British agents on the coast searched the skies for more smoke signals from Waterloo, and, and again, they received a message. It began with the same word, Wellington. The next word was also the same, defeated. But this time, with a clear blue sky overhead, came a third word. To complete the sentence came the code name, Napoleon. You see, the correct message all along had read, Wellington defeated Napoleon. And unfortunately, they had only been getting a part of the truth. What a difference it made in their hearts when the complete account reached the people. Sorrow turned into rejoicing and songs of victory rang throughout the streets. And I would suggest to you this morning that so often when we face the reality and the experience of death, we may be something like those British agents along the coast of the English Channel. But we may unfortunately only be getting part of the message and a portion of the truth. Let me explain. When Jesus was put to death on a cross on a Friday afternoon, the sky became dark. It seemed that Jesus was defeated. Satan was jubilant. Disillusionment gripped the hearts of Jesus' followers. But God's message was not yet complete. Not until early on the morning of the third day was the news sent in full when the angel announced the message to a few startled women at the tomb. Listen to how the Gospel of Matthew describes it. Early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying, and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I've told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but they were also filled with great joy, and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so that you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said, what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. Jesus has defeated death. That is the full message of the gospel. And yet what the world regards as inviolable laws of nature seem to have been defined. How can that be? There's something about the resurrection that our spirits reach out to embrace. And it even makes some skeptics stop to wonder. And yet here is 
one place in history where the aspirations of the soul cannot be suppressed. And for those who need objective evidence in order to believe, there are a few observable facts of science more confirmed by reasonable testimony than the resurrection of Jesus. Consider the witness of the open tomb. Despite the slander and the antics of the Sanhedrin priests, the world could not change the fact that there was an open grave in Joseph's garden. The great stone that had been at the door of the tomb was rolled away. Inside the tomb, the linen cloth that wrapped the body of Jesus rested in a sunken heap, and the napkin covering his head lay gently folded at the place where our Lord's head had been. If someone had come to steal the body during the night, as these frantic rulers claimed, why had the burial garments been so carefully preserved? The tomb showed no evidence of disorder. We cannot imagine that his disciples stole the body and then later deliberately died for a faith based on that resurrection. People don't die for what they know is a lie. Then who did take the body? Surely not the temple priests or they would, could have produced the mummified remains to forever discredit the disciples' testimony. And certainly we cannot believe that the Roman guards stole the body knowing that such an act of disobedience was punishable by death. But if they had, who prompted them to do it? However, we examine the, the story. The only reasonable explanation was given by the angel who said, He's not here. Jesus is risen. Other religions have their impressive shrines, but the tombs of their leaders are full of dead men's bones. Only the Christian church points to an empty grave and says, Our Lord has conquered death. And yet so astounding is this fact that even many of the disciples at first could scarcely comprehend it. Understanding their dismay, Jesus made a point to personally appear to many of them over a period of 40 days, during which time he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 tells us during the 40 days after the crucifixion, Jesus appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. On Easter morning, he appeared to Mary Magdalene in the garden. Jesus spoke to the women on their way to the tomb and told them to hurry and tell the disciples that he had risen. The same day, he walked with two disciples on the road to Emmaus and sat at their table and ate dinner with them before vanishing from their sight. Jesus appeared to Peter and held a private interview in his room. In the evening of that first Easter day, he met with the other 11 disciples, showing them his nail-scarred hands and feet. And on the next Sunday, he appeared to the disciples again, and that this time Thomas, the doubter, was present and given the opportunity to put his hand into the wound in our Lord's side. On the shore of Tiberias, Jesus showed himself to the disciples while they were fishing, and later he had breakfast with them beside the sea. At an appointed meeting on the mountain, he spoke to more than 500 followers, and Matthew's Gospel, the 28th chapter, talks about how he gave them a commission. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He appeared to James, his brother, and finally he met with the disciples at Bethany and ascended up into the clouds, 
of heaven to take his place at the throne of God. But he promised that he would come back again to judge the living and the dead and to reign over his kingdom. See, on many different occasions and in various parts of the country, Jesus appeared to hundreds of people from all walks of life. They saw him in his resurrection glory. It was not an illusion. It was not wishful thinking. These eyewitnesses saw a real person. They talked with him. They ate with him. They touched him with their hands. And even though his glorified body was no longer bound by the limitations of the flesh and could assume whatever form necessary for communication, clearly the same Jesus who was crucified had now come alive again from the grave. He had defeated the enemy of death. For nearly 2,000 years, the church has testified to this fact through preaching and through the sacraments. Moreover, the reality is confirmed in the personal experience of many of us, millions of men and women, who by the Spirit of God have encountered the living Christ in a very personal way. Today I want to remind us very quickly that as we affirm with the apostles some basic truths about the resurrection, the resurrection first of all proves that God always keeps his word. As Peter proclaimed later at Pentecost, he said, people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life for death could not keep him in its grip. Similarly, the Apostle Paul testifies, I pass on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. That Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. See, Jesus had taught on numerous occasions that the Son of Man would be rejected by the chief priests and by the scribes and by the religious elite of his day, that he would be killed, that he would rise again on the third day. It was all laid out ahead of time, and Easter confirms that God does what he says he'll do. Secondly, the resurrection proves that Jesus is the divine Savior. When asked by what name or power he was healing people and working, the apostle Peter told the elders and teachers of the law, he said, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scripture where it says the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There's a salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus is not just a teacher of moral truth. He's not just an example of godly character. He is the son of the most high God sent into the world to save the lost. As he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Clearly the resurrected Jesus is the mighty conqueror of his foes, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. The head that was once crowned with thorns is now risen in glory. And that makes the third truth obvious. Because Christ triumphed over death, we can affirm that his sacrifice was not in vain. You know, when someone dies who has the power to rise from the grave, there must be 
some explanation why that person ever died in the first place. So the resurrection challenges us to give a reason for the cross. And to this question, the scripture gives one answer. He was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. It's an old story about a number of years ago, a visitor to the Holy Land was with a tour group. And the guide was pointing out in the distance the place called Calvary or Golgotha, the place where Jesus was crucified. And seeing it for the first time, this man on the tour, he he was so filled with excitement that he started to run up the hill and the guide was the first to get to him at the top. The man's head was bowed and he was panting for breath and the guide said, sir, have you been here before? And for a moment there was silence. And then in a whispered tone, the man said, yes, I was here nearly 2,000 years ago. You see, in a way, we were all there nearly 2,000 years ago because when Jesus died on the cross, he took our place. We had all, Scripture says, turned to our own way. To the, and the penalty of sin is always death. And yet God so loved the world that he gave his son to die for us, even while we were still sinners. Uh, As our representative, he suffered for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but raised again by the Holy Spirit, and he lives eternally to pray for us and connect us to a gracious and loving God. Do you believe that Jesus defeated death? Then you can believe that he died in your place. Everything has been done that needs to be done to provide for our salvation. Which brings me to the final point, Easter proves that God's power is available to change life, change our lives. The Apostle Paul said, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Through the resurrection, Jesus has brought into focus the new life, the new birth that he promised. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and he is supreme over all creation. Here we see the ultimate meaning of rising with Christ in newness of life. All our old calculations of what's possible and impossible in this this world become obsolete. Because the power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave surely can take place in our human personalities and recreate us in the image of God. I read a statement the other day that I enjoyed reading. It was uh, the social, and it went like this. The social worker can point to a homeless person on Skid Row and say, let me clean up his environment and I'll put a new coat on that person's back. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says, let that person experience the resurrection power of God and I'll put a new person in that coat. See, the Christian life is not simply about reforming our bad habits. It's not about whitewashing our sins. It is a total transformation of our life. This means that anyone, St. Paul says, who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and there is a new life uh, that has begun. Because Jesus lives, there is no person that's beyond the reach of God's grace. There's no life that's too wasted for God to save, no sin too great for God to cleanse, no burden too heavy for God to bear. 
In Charles Wesley's great hymn, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name, which we sing uh, sometimes, uh, one of the lines says, He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. In Christ, we have resurrection life, eternal life. The Apostle Paul put it this way, and God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. And Jesus himself said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. You see, death in this world no longer has the final say. It has no real power over us. Its strength is gone. God has replaced our future with eternal life with him. So in closing this morning, let me offer one final affirmation, and that is that Easter proves that someday all of us will give an account to Jesus for what we do in this life, the choices that we make. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17 said, For God has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. The good news is that because Jesus lives, we don't have to live in condemnation and fear. As the Apostle Paul said, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the promise. You know, in the city of Jerusalem on a Friday afternoon, the followers of Jesus thought that he was defeated. Their hopes had been dashed, they were despondent, but now you and I both know that it was only part of the story. Following Friday came Sunday, a Sunday that has forever since been known as Easter. And on that day, Jesus came alive and he put away the chains of death. We know that the message of the cross is not complete until that final word was added. It looked like Jesus was defeated, but in reality, Jesus defeated death. And this has been the hope of all who have followed Christ down through the centuries. Those saints that surround us, as the New Testament book of Hebrews reminds us even still, and it is the same hope that is ours today as we put our faith and our trust in Christ alone. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we are here today because you have brought us to this place. You called us to be here we are not here by accident, but because you love us and you've drawn us to this place. And God, we've heard your word and we are reminded again that you are a God of hope who has defeated evil so, so that we might too know what it is to join you in a life that is everlasting and eternal and abundant and new and changed. So God, change us today. Help us to uh, put our faith and our trust in you alone so that the old is gone and the new comes in and fills our life with good things. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.